Amen. I want to thank the band for doing a great job and leading us in worship. Amen. All right. So uh, I just want to say something to all of our folks online. If you're not here, you're missing out on something very, very good. Uh, not just being here. That's very, very good, right, church? Yeah. Oh. But Mary Jo cooks homemade goodies every week for us. I, I, I quit buying donuts. Mary Jo, thank you. They're delicious. I just want to thank you. You do a great job. do a great job. And so that's one of the real benefits of being here. All right. So imagine, imagine you were granted the opportunity to look into a crystal ball and actually get a video of what your life would be like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. You get a sneak, a peek at what your life would be like. I'm talking about what it's like with your relationships, your money status, where you're living, would you want to see what it's like? Five years, 10 years, 20 years? Would you want to see that? Yes or no, church? What do you think? Yes? How many say yes? How many say no? More no's than yeses. That's very interesting. I was at a coffee house, and I was getting me what I always get, which is vanilla latte. Uh, and it was not Starbucks. It was this little, cool, quaint little coffee house with Wi-Fi. And they had this thing that you could purchase, and it was a postcard where you write a note on it and you send it to your future self. And uh, as long as they're still in business five years from now, they'll mail you your postcard in five years. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, you know, just you want to send a message to your future self. So if, if I were to hand you a postcard right now, what message would you send to your future self? How many of you like to send a message back to your past self? <laughs> yeah, so picture yourself, and I know this is, Renee said, I don't use this example, which made me want to use it more, okay? Of course, but, but picture yourself on your deathbed. I know that's not a great image, but picture yourself there, and you're surrounded by ghosts, but they're the ghost of wasted potential, gifts and talents opportunities you never acted on, and the ghosts that are surrounding you are angry. They're disappointed because their presence in your life has been wasted on you, all that potential wasted, and they glare down at you and they say, we came to you because you could have brought us to life, and now we're going to go down into the grave with you. How many ghosts are going to be around your bed when the time comes? It's a question I want you to hold on to. Because we know the decisions we make today will determine what our tomorrow is like. Amen? Yeah. And that's why Jesus said, hey, I've come to bring you abundant life and bring you the full life right now. So let me start this way. You might remember there's some famous examples uh, when people are in those last moments of their life and they do certain things. There was 118 crewmen on a submarine in Russia called the Kursk when it began to sink and it was doomed. 23 of those men survived as the submarine began to sink and the parts of the submarine had blown up and they survived in an isolated chamber for several hours after the explosion. One of them was a 27-year-old captain named Captain Dmitry Kolskanov and he wrote a note to his wife while he waited to die. 
and two words from that note were displayed in a black frame next to his coffin at his funeral service, and he wrote the words, mustn't despair, mustn't despair. When human beings experience the moment when they know they're going to die, it's almost instinctive that they want to send a message, the last dying words, right? They want someone to know their story. Does this make sense? Yeah. So, for instance, passengers spiraling downward to their death on the JL airliner in 1985 used their last moments to write letters to their loved ones. Some of those letters were discovered. The same thing happened in 9-11, right? People got on the phone and tried to call and tell their loved ones, and the famous phrase, let's roll, right, uh, it, when they realized uh, that plane was being hijacked. Prisoners of, of Nazis in Warsaw Ghetto, after seeing people shot and after seeing people starved to death, used their last breaths to write notes to their loved ones, and they hoped someone else besides the Nazis would read them, and they stuffed them into walls and crevices of different places. And if you ever go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., you can read some of those. And they're, they're quite, quite sobering. And in that final moment when the scaffolding of life gets stripped away, when all the toys we spent our lives chasing, like success and reputation and security and wealth and comfort and ease, really mean nothing, right? It means nothing. You're left with, what have I spent my life on? What do I believe in? Is this making sense? Yes? Yeah. And if that moment were to come for you, and one day it will, what would you write? What's the message you would leave behind? your loved ones? What's your story? What would you put on your postcard? Would you write, mustn't despair? What would you say? We're going to look at three gentlemen, Shadrach, Meshach, and... Oh, come on, church. Let's have a little more energy here. Who are we talking about? Shadrach, Meshach, and... Abednego, yes. And they actually chose death over worshiping an idol. The moment came in the lives of these three young men, and they were probably at about the age of this young captain I talked about in the Soviet uh, submarine there, uh, about 27 years old. They were men of great promise. They had risen to a place of eminence and promise in the world's most powerful nations. They could raise their families. They could live deeply fulfilling lives. They could do noble things for their God and for their king. Their hearts were full of hopes and dreams. I mean, 27 years old, right? But they were Jewish men who were living under captivity, and they had been transferred to Babylon. Because when Babylon went into the Jewish community to take over, what they did was they went into the town, and they took, they took all the educated people out. And they took all the prominent people out and all the young people out. And, and they left the town there destitute. And so here they are, these three gentlemen are living, and they're in the inner circle of the king. The king likes them, and they are some of the king's advisors. But the king still knows they're Jewish, they're not Babylonian. And so the king says to these three guys one day, I want you to worship a statue of gold that I've set up. This creates a problem. 
We read about this in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, right? They had a band. They had a contemporary band, all right? That was a joke. Maybe I should work on my golf game, yeah. If you're ready to fall down and worship the images I made, very good. Life will be good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Now understand... These are not even the real Jewish names of these gentlemen. They've been renamed in Babylon. These are Babylonian names for them, okay? They replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we really do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let's read that line together. But even if he does not, this is faith, right? Because it takes a little bit of faith, right? It takes a little bit of faith to believe in God when you get what you want. It takes a whole lot of faith to believe in God when you don't get what you want. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Now, I'll tell you what's striking about this story The moment comes inevitably in everyone's life when they realize death is inescapable and there's nothing they can do. And often the last message that people give is an expression of regret at having to leave life, right? They don't want to die. My mom, the night before she died, said, I want to live, but her body failed her. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, death is escapable. All they have to do is bend a knee, and worship this statue of gold, and their nightmare will be over. Bend a knee. They will live. They'll be restored to their positions of power, honor, and status. And, the, and yet they know if they don't, they're headed towards unimaginable pain and death. One word, just say the word, just bow down, it'll be fine. But they would not say the word. They would not bend the knee. Life or death, and they chose death. One of the reasons we share this story is in Scripture is they are showing that that kind of devotion to God is possible by ordinary people like you and me. They say, the God we we serve is able to save us, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, will not serve your gods and worship the image of gold you set up. It looked like their final words were, mustn't despair. Verse 19, so this is the response. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Have you ever noticed that people's attitude towards you changes when they're mad? Well, come on, married couples. You know what I'm talking about. What happened to all the love? Anyhow, literally, it can be translated, and the expression of his face changed. I love that. When they they brought the three gentlemen into the presence of the king for not bowing down, 
He was mad. He had been using the velvet glove approach. He tried to woo them to the other side. Look, when you hear the music, just fall down and worship the image I've set up, and everything will be good. You'll be restored to your positions of power. Everything will be fine. But in the face of unshakable devotion, they have this staggering commitment to God. And Nebuchadnezzar lost control. His attitude toward them changed. And he orders the furnace, the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than usual. Now, in, whenever you see the word seven in Scripture, that's used a lot in the ancient world, and it means a lot. Like you hear 40 days and 40 nights, that means a long time, okay? Seven means a lot. So turn to your neighbor and say, hey, seven means a lot. All right, so you learned something today. All right. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, crank that furnace up, all right? Now imagine these three young men facing what looks like to be their final moment. They've been faithful to the end. They've seen the end coming since they know that, hey, eventually we've got to go and worship the Babylonian gods. We've been taken over. Every exit's been closed. They've been faithful to them. These are real people filled with courage, fear perhaps, but defiance and definitely faith. They feel the heat. The story tells us that when, when the king's men even heat up the furnace, some of them got so close they died and collapsed just from being near the heat of the furnace. So the king throws Shadrach, Meshach in there. They're, they're in the fire. They wait for the searing pain. They wait for the numbness. They wait for the smoke inhalation that will suffocate their lungs. And, and they find out nothing happens. They don't feel any different. And it begins to dawn on them that they're not even warm. It's a bit chilly. Do you have a sweater? No burns, no smoke. And they went into the furnace bound up. The king bound them up, right? So they really were helpless. And now all of a sudden, they're free of what had bound them up. And the best part is what happens is when this turns from a a miracle to a divine encounter. And we read that in verse 24. So the king's watching this. He wants to see them burn up. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. One translation has the word trepidation because this indicates an element of fear. He asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, yes, certainly, king. And the king said, look, I see now how many men? Four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth one looks like... Now, this is a pagan king here, says what? Looks like the son of God. So there's a fourth member of the furnace club here, and he's, uh, that was a joke, anyhow, and he's unharmed, and apparently he's the one who delivered the other three. They have a little meeting right there in the furnace. Who was this fourth man who helped them cheat death? It looks like the appearance of the son of God's. Well, the text does not say, but of course we believe that it is, oh, it's on the screen if you need a little help. It's on Jesus, yeah. They spent a little time together in the furnace. Now, don't you wonder, wouldn't you have loved to have heard the conversation that Jesus and these three gentlemen are having while they're in the middle of the furnace? Because you know they were saying things like, this is amazing. Wow. And I wonder if Jesus said to them, thank you for your faithfulness. I wonder if Jesus said, 
your one act of faithfulness will be remembered for thousands of years on the earth. And I wonder if he told them that for centuries, men and women all over the world who face persecution or trial or even death will find strength from this story. I bet they poured out adoration and gratitude and worship toward Jesus. Don't you think they did? Thank you for keeping us alive. Thank you for keeping us safe. They came to this place, the place of Dura, planning to withhold worship from a false god, and these three gentlemen end up worshiping as they never have done in their lives before, in the middle of a furnace. Worship can be like that. The furnace, which looked like the end of their lives, turned out to be the greatest thing they'd ever experienced. It's the can't-miss event of their lives. The furnace turns out to be the place where they meet God. Because God meets us in the furnace too. Anyone here been to a furnace and met God? Somebody say amen, come on. God decided to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, not from it. Now, this is confusing to us, right? But this is the point of the story. They hoped to be delivered from the furnace, but God decided to deliver them in the furnace. Sometimes God delivers people from the furnace, but sometimes God delivers you when you're in the furnace, right? Jesus says to them what he says to people still today, I'll meet you in the furnace because Jesus is a furnace kind of guy. Somebody say amen. Somebody show some excitement here today, all right, friends? I'm preaching better than you're receiving it right now. I'm telling you. And this is the place where full devotion can lead you. A place that looks scary and dangerous and even painful and maybe even looks like the end turns out to be the place where Jesus is. And amazingly, it's the safest place they can be because it's right where Jesus is at. It turns out to be an adventure of the lifetime. And Jesus says to you and I today, I'll meet you in the furnace. It's going to look dark. It's going to look dangerous. It's going to scare you. But if you keep following me, I'll meet you there in the furnace. Verse 26 Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now he's worshiping. Come on out. So they come out of the fire. Wouldn't you love to see that? All the governors and the royal advisors crowding around him. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies. The, the text says that not a hair on their heads was singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was, it even says in the text, there was no smell of fire around them. You ever been around a campfire? You can't get that smell out of your hair for three days. But they didn't even smell like fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 28, look at this, this is amazing. The king, the pagan king, who wants to worship a gold statue, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, right, and rescued his servants, they trusted in him and defied the king's commands. They trusted in God and defied the king's commands. Who is this king? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, this is a man who's killed his own soldiers. He didn't even 
didn't care about, you know, these seemingly three gentlemen, and now he's congratulating them for what? For having the audacity to defy his authority. Something's going on in this king's life. And then he says these words, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who said anything about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. He's not really into freedom of worship, as you can tell. Okay? He's not a Bill of Rights kind of king, all right? For no other God, the king says, can save this way. Then the king promotes he promotes them, right? They come out of the furnace and they get promoted in the province of Babylon. So he doesn't just restore them. He lifts them up to new positions. He gives them more opportunities and more influence and more money. Now, we wonder what the rest of their lives were like. We don't know. This is the last time we ever hear in the Bible about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know. I wonder if they ever thought about how easily they might have missed this adventure. If they had given in to fear and said, hey, we don't really mean it, but let's just bow down to this gold statue. They would have missed the greatest encounter of their life with God. I wonder, I just think about like when they got to be old men, right? And they're meeting over at the hamburger place, you know, and they're sitting around, and they're like, on the anniversary date, they're like, hey, make sure you wear your robe that you wore into the furnace. And their wives had tried to throw away the robes, but they wouldn't let them, right? Because there were holes in them, and they weren't fashionable anymore. I'm just conjecturing here. But they remember back to when they were young men, and they were full of courage and faith, and they defied the king, and they walked around, and they met Jesus in the furnace. Because I bet, how many of you think that'd be a moment you'd never forget? Amen? Yeah. If you've ever spent time in the furnace and met God there, a place that looks like the end to you but becomes a new beginning, a place where you really meet God, trust me, it will mark you. It will change you. You'll carry that moment around for the rest of your life. Going into the furnace, which looked like the last thing they wanted to do, turned out to be the greatest event of their lives. Ironically, the furnace that looked like death was the safest place of all. Why? Because that's where God was. Sometimes, again, God delivers people from the furnace. Sometimes God delivers people in the furnace. And those are the greatest times in your life. I remember I, I, I counseled a person who was going through a very, very difficult time, very, uh, were very, very sick, was on the verge of death, and, and I was talking to him, and we were praying with him, and I asked him if he was scared to die. And he said, no, I've already done it. They brought me back to life. I've died once. I'm not afraid to die again. I met God there. I'm not afraid to meet God again. Now, the reason we study this, the reason I have devoted a whole message to this is because one of the dangers that we have as Christians, that we have as followers of Christ, living in a pretty comfortable world, The danger is that that my primary goal then becomes furnace avoidance. So I pray, God, deliver me from pain and discomfort and suffering and inconvenience and make my life smooth and make my life easy and make my life comfortable and make it pleasant and remove obstacles from me. And we 
avoid even low-level flames. Hello? Is this working today? My mic on low. My, you're, you're, low, you are professional sound. This mic is on, right? I just, are your ears working today? So let's deconstruct this just a little bit. How did, how did they have this courage? How did they, because I, I don't know that a lot of us would have this courage. All you got to do is bow down the gold statue, or you can go into the furnace. I don't think it's an accident that they ended up at the top of the mountain, right? There's an old saying, if you see someone at the top of the mountain, he didn't fall there. <laughs> Hello? You know, this is a really good sermon today, and I just don't know if you're receiving it, so I don't know. You don't fall up a mountain. You don't just accidentally end up one day with the guts of steel in your spine and, and, and makes thousands of years later people still remembering and stirred up by the story that was written on your soul. You don't, that just doesn't happen by accident. So there's a, a couple things. If you look at the life and you study the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before this incident, you see that long before they were jumping into the fire, they were consistent in their everyday decisions with God. And they pre-made decisions about the kind of life and the kind of people they were going to be. Sometimes people read this story and they're like, yeah, I would die for God. I would, die. I would go into the furnace. And then my question when people say that is, well, would you live for him? Well, I'll die for him, but would you live for him? See, it's, it's almost easier to die once, right? Just die a martyr's death one time, and then you're good, you're dead, and you go to heaven. Then every day, dying for him in little ways, which is like living for him at work, in your marriages, in your jobs, interactions with your friends and neighbors. Will you live for him? Consistency. If you read Daniel chapter 1 and you go back to the, the Bible of Daniel, you find out that it actually all started out with carrot sticks. What? Carrot sticks have a lot to do with how the fact that they ended up in the furnace. Now, I know some of you are saying, what is this going? But here's what happened. When they were taken over and brought into Babylon, the king said, you know, you're part of my inner circle and I make sure my inner circle is very well uh, fed and, and cared for, and we've got a, a diet here that the king wants you to follow. And it involves, I know you're Jewish, but it involves a little bit of bacon and uh, uh, some other things that are non-kosher for you Jewish, and we want you to eat this. And what happens is Daniel's like very diplomatic, and Daniel's like, well, you know, I know the king wants us to have this certain diet, but they're very diplomatic, but we want to try something different. He said, he said let's throw out a 10-day test. You, you, you and the king have your 10-day diet, and over here, we're going to eat our 10 days, and it's going to basically be a diet that none of us Americans want, which is carrot sticks and veggies, salads, no bacon bits on the salad. And 
He says, hey, if we're healthier at the end of the 10 days, then we can eat what we need to worship our God, and you can eat what you need to worship your God, and we'll, you just leave us alone. And that's basically what happens at the end of the 10 days. They look over, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're healthy, they're fit, they're trim, because they've been eating carrot sticks and salad for 10 days. When's the last time any of us did that? Oh, I'm going to go to Waterburger right after this is over. In fact, when is this over? Hurry up. I don't want carrot sticks unless they're drowning in ranch dressing. Just confessing my own spirit here. So how do you get to have this kind of amazing strength? It starts with small decisions you're making every day. You don't just fall on top of the mountain of devotion to God. You have to climb. Every day, you've got to make decisions every day that are Christ-like, that are following him, that is living for him. Hello? I don't think my mic is, is low. Did, is he over there making sure the broadcast? I hope people online are hearing me. Hello? We decided, they say, we, we're going to follow God first, and we're going to honor each other. We're going to honor the king they were not impolite to the king. We're going to do the best we can to honor you, king. But there are certain things we can't do, and there are certain things we can do. And some of you need to make some predecisions, right? I told my son before he went to college, you need to decide what kind of man you're going to be in college, what kind of man you want to be, what kind of career you want to have. You have to make those decisions now. You've got to make the decisions of what kind of, of character you're going to have, son, before you're in the heat of the moment when it gets hot and heavy with your girlfriend. Well, Dad, I don't want to talk about that. And I said, well, then go talk to your mother about it. We need to choose ahead of time who we're going to be. And that's how character is formed. So what are you going to write on your postcard to your future self? What kind of person do I want to be? Who do I want to live for? Do I want to live for me or do I want to live for God? There's a phrase in Scripture, in this story, it says Daniel purposed in his heart. And that's the issue. The issue was not meat and wine from the king. The issue was Daniel's decision. You are the person you are today because of the decisions you made yesterday. And the great news is you can change who you are going to be tomorrow because of the decisions you make today. There's a choice you have to make every day in everything you do. And always keep in mind that the choice that you make makes you. Hello? I'm giving some existentialism here. For those of you who don't know that word, Google it. Victor Frankl, read his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Daniel had his postcard, and he filled it out, and he said, you know who I'm going to be in five years and ten years? I'm going to be someone that says, you know what, I'm not going to worship false statues. What I'm trying to say is the key to confidence in bad times is consistency in the good times. And you're determining today what you're going to do on that dark ultimate day. So I just want to encourage you, some of you to make decisions ahead of time. Make some resolutions inside your soul. But because they were consistent in their behavior, they ended up being courageous under pressure. And these men reached a place where they were courageous under pressure. Why is that? Well, they knew who God was. They knew who God was. And that's why they said, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, if that's not our God's plan, 
were going to go into the furnace. They knew who God was. They had a relationship with God. And the reason is, and the cool thing about the Bible is it's written in chronology, and, and we can know what they had in front of them. For instance, I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus grew up reading the Psalms of David, right? He had them. He quoted them. When he's on the cross, he's quoting Psalm 22. Read it sometime. So they had the book of Isaiah, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and had that book when it talked about this, and they, they knew verses like this. When you pass through the waters, God says, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep through you. When you walk through the fire, hello, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Don't you know they were quoting that? Because they feared God, which doesn't mean that they were afraid and cowering in the corner. Fear of God, which Scripture says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It means a sense of awe, a, a sense of wonder, a sense of, oh my goodness, there's a God who created me and made me and loves me and cares for me and will never be away from me and always wants to be part of me and guide my life. That's incredible. And it's the same God who made the galaxies and the sun and the moon and the stars, and he thought enough to make me. Wow, that's pretty cool. Somebody get excited. I don't know. I got to start over. Not right now. Don't worry. Well, give me some carrot sticks. <laughs> they revered God. Right? When Isaiah had an encounter with God, he said, woe is me. I'm unclean. I don't even deserve to be in the presence of God. When you fear God, you don't fear anyone else. You don't have to fear men or women. You don't have to fear situations. You don't have to be afraid of anything. When you ultimately fear God more than anything, that's why they said, you know what, we'll go into the furnace because we fear God more than we fear this king. And then I love this. They were cut free by the fire. Did you notice that? I mean, as you read the story, you marvel at the fact that they, they, that they were... <laughs> They were cut free when they went into the furnace. They were bound up, and then they were cut free when they were in there. They were actually better off after the situation than they were before it. This is actually a gift from God, strangely wrapped, no doubt. It's a strange gift, but I guarantee you when it was over, everybody's like, wow, look at these three guys. Wow, it's amazing. Look what they did. They walked through the furnace, and they're like, yeah, this is great. But because before when they were thrown in, they were tied up, right? And by the end of it, they were unbound and unharmed. They went in, Scripture says, tied up. They came out unbound. I love that. Tied up, unbound, tied up, unbound. How many of you know that sometimes the only way to get unbound is to go into the furnace? No pain, no gain, right? God has to put you in a situation that will burn away what ties you up and keeps you away from your God-given destiny. Sometimes there are passions in our hearts that are not helping us. Sometimes we're tied up to an addiction, and God puts you through the furnace to burn up your addiction. Sometimes we're tied up to a situation, unhealthy addictions, right? Unhealthy dependencies, reactions. And sometimes going into the fire purifies us and gets rid of the dross. And we have more liberty coming out of it than we did going in. Hello? I am throwing it out. I am laying it down today. 
you know, no matter what we face in life, no matter how hot the furnace is, what kind of fire we find ourselves in, the, the point of this also is we're not alone. God is in the furnace with us. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they get promoted. Now, in the middle of it, they thought they were going to die, but the end result is actually better. The end result is purified. The end result is stronger. The end result is more confident. The end result is they ain't afraid of nothing. I've already been through the furnace. I've already died once. So I just want to encourage you, when life gets seven times hotter, sometimes it's actually God trying to make you ten times better. Right now, whatever you're going through feels like a furnace. It's a furnace heated up seven times hotter. It's on the back end because God wants you to be ten times stronger. Ten times better. Ten times the father or mother than you are right now. And here's the other thing. God calls us to a dangerous life, just like he did as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because he often has something better for us. When I read this story, I had the oddest image in my head, and it's an odd image because I'm not sure if God has a calendar But can you imagine God's calendar? Like, does God ever take a day off? (laughs) Playing golf, fishing. But I picture God having a calendar. I know he doesn't have a calendar because God's omniscient and omnipresent, so he doesn't have to remember to go someplace. It's not like he needs a Siri reminder. But on that date, but on that date, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a deal with, with God. And God must have, if he had a calendar, it would have been this. Meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. Meet them there. And I wonder what God would have thought if they hadn't shown up, if they had bowed down to that golden statue. Their, their whole life and their whole adventure is dependent on that decision of meeting God in the furnace. So where on his calendar does God have your name written down? Meet you in the furnace. Will you make it? Or might you bend a knee to the wrong God? See, God often calls us to a dangerous life. So I'm going to ask you to do something kind of dangerous. It's a dangerous prayer. Stop asking for less heat, for an easier or richer or more pleasant or more secure life. There's something better. How often the human heart, the spirits and emotions of of the potentially glorious creatures that we could be made in the image of God get bound up and attached to by trivial, stupid stuff. Somebody cuts me off on the highway. Happened yesterday on my way to San Antonio. My boss gives me an angry look. Hurts my feelings. Or I don't get the recognition at work I deserve. Or from school. Or from the opposite sex. Or I get an unexpected expense, which means I can't buy something I've got to have. Does someone create an obstacle in my life? Is my career not climbing as high as I'd like? We might be being called to a deeper measure of devotion than that stuff that we hang on to. So I want to ask you to pray a really dangerous prayer. God, give me the opportunity to show my devotion to you. And I don't ask primarily for comfort or riches or a fat 401k, or ease, or security. Just give me an opportunity to show my devotion. And ask for the presence of the fourth man in the furnace. Someone told me recently that they were praying to find a job, and it's very difficult 
in this COVID times, and they're praying to find a job with an easier environment. And they said these words to me. They emailed them to me. I work with fallen, difficult, cranky, hostile people all the time. I emailed them back, so do I. That was a joke. We live in a world of fallen, cranky, difficult, hostile people. Maybe you have people in your work who are far from God and have habits and behaviors that are quite painful for you. Nebuchadnezzar was not exactly up for employer of the year here. And yet God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego willingness to go into the furnace to change his life to the point where he starts worshiping God. Often people want to be transferred to a nicer job with nicer people. Maybe that'd be a good thing. But maybe God's plan is to have you right where you're at. Maybe he wants you to grow in judgment and discernment and your ability to speak or to grow in your ability to love somebody who's very unlovable at times. Wouldn't it be easier to resent them or write them off? Maybe you need to stop praying for deliverance from the furnace and ask for the presence of God who meets people there. Maybe there's a Nebuchadnezzar that God wants to reach through you. So you ought to quit praying to try to get away from that Nebuchadnezzar and ask God to meet you in the furnace. Maybe God's been whispering for you to get involved in some form of service. Maybe it involves using a spiritual gift and you're afraid to do it. You've been avoiding what feels like the furnace. Well, God's in the furnace. Tell him you'll meet him there. Maybe the furnace involves a relationship or financial hardship or giving or sacrifice. I don't know what it is for you. I just know that the golden statue in our world tends to involve gods with names like comfort, ease, security, and success. Somewhere along the line, too many people and too many churches have gotten the idea that following God guarantees you an easier life. So I'll put it to you in the form of a question. How many of the heroes in the faith in Scripture had easy lives? Email me how many today, this afternoon, I'll be waiting. I'm sure my inbox will be full. Read Hebrews chapter 11. The writer lists off all the things they face, including flames. Where did Jesus say to his followers, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and that involves a great house, an attractive spouse, a terrific job, a wonderful car, and endless succession of easy days. From the book of I Wish, chapter 1. Where does Jesus say that? Jesus said, follow me and you're going to have a great big God and outrageous joy. And you're going to be in trouble all the time. That's what he said. And that was true for the disciples. They followed him by the hundreds and thousands. They followed the same path that he walked on. And they followed him through servanthood and through sacrificial generosity and through the community and through suffering and to persecution and followed him to death. Do you understand that we're here in this room and some of you were watching online because throughout history, hundreds and thousands of ordinary men and women, most of who are long since forgotten, have said they were willing to go to the furnace that the church today in China is still underground. That I'll confess, I was actually part of an operation in the 
early 90s of sneaking Bibles into the Soviet Union. We provided our missionary and ways to sneak them in. We were so deviant. But he risked his life to bring the word of God. When the Bible was translated into English, read about Tyndale and Wycliffe. They were burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English so that the common plowboy could read it. Hello? The Catholic Church was so mad at one of them for, for translating out of the Latin. 40 years after his death, they dug up his bones and burned them again. That's really, really P.O.'d at somebody. Well, they've been dead for 40 years. I don't care. Dig them up again. Let's burn the bones again. That's it. So you need a therapist. <laughs> That's not in the notes. Mustn't despair. God didn't forget him. God said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what he said to Stephen, who was martyred for his faith, what he said to Paul and Peter, who were persecuted and beaten and jailed and martyred as well, what he said to Corey Tin Boom, what he said to Reverend Martin Luther King, what he said to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what he said to Mother Teresa, what he still says to followers in China and Albania, where Christians are being persecuted, and Cabrinha and Green, and maybe just someday to someone in Corpus Christi, I will meet you in the furnace if you dare. This is your day. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their day. Daniel had his day. Stephen had his day. Peter and Paul had their days. Corey Ten Boom had her day. This is your day. Your final moment's going to come. I don't know what furnace you're facing. I don't know what this means for you. I just know who they'll meet there. He says, fear not, for you'll pass through the flames. They will not burn you. They will not destroy you. I'll meet you in the furnace. And that's the good news. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this wonderful message, for this wonderful faith that took a lifetime of decision-making to get to. We recognize that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not just fall on top of the mountain of faith. But they climbed their way up with daily decisions as they lived for you each and every day. And they proved in doing that they were willing to die for you on that day. And on that day, they met you there, God, in the furnace where you'll meet us as well. So God, give us that faith. Help us think about what kind of people we want to be five years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now and recognize that the decisions we make today will impact that. So let us be intentional about our faith. Let us not pray for comfort and ease and security and money and those are the golden statues that we are tempted to bow down and worship today, but rather you, God. Help us, God, to follow you into sacrificial giving, into generosity of our lives, into giving our time and talents in a way so that your kingdom come, your will be done, not just ours. Father, help us. We need faith. We need courage. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless us. Help us know that you'll meet us in the furnace. We pray this in the name of Christ who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
that will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.